I'm excited to continue speaking and being led by the questions that we were posed by people who had attended our conversation um, with Michael Cholby at LSE um, on Zoom in December, I think it was. Um, yeah, so, so Will and I thought that there was much more to be said and that, that we wanted to say and what, what we wanted to explore together and chew on together um, to continue the conversation and thinking around grief and everything that it is um, to us and to everyone. Uh, and to kind of also, I guess, sit in a lot of uh, curiosity and the not knowing aspect of it um we're not necessarily trying to get to any answers we don't have answers to specific questions but we're happy and happy to be um yeah thinking about it together yeah i think that the the conversation at the forum was you know partially designed as a conversation starter um which is understandable given the brief, the brevity of the, the occasion. But then, of course, the fallout of that is that the really deep questions that can't get it covered in an introductory discussion just linger. And what that means in terms of grief right now in the world is that a lot of the questions about race and social justice got left untouched because they have deeper, they have deeper roots maybe than... Um, we were able to explore in that in that limited time frame, which is why when I was going back over the questions that were asked, but we didn't really get a chance to answer, I, I was drawn to those those questions first. In some ways, when I hear the word grief, now I immediately think of racial injustice. Um, like that's where my mind actually goes first because of how prominent racism is in like every facet of, of life especially in the United States. So I don't know how you felt specifically about those, those questions, Priya, but like, I find my mind constantly goes back to those. Yeah, my mind constantly goes back to those as well. And it's also because I think that it gets at the, the deeper roots of some of this and why so much hurt is left ungrieved. And it's because systemically it's, it's ignored. Um, and that is part of the machine of racism and white supremacy. Yeah, so I think it it, it asks us to go back in through our own experiences, but also actually through decades and centuries um, to imagine where is it that we live right now um, that has made it impossible for certain people uh, to be witnessed in their heart. And I guess a question that, that comes up, and I do, I want to read one, at least one of these questions in totality, because the way that it's phrased to the tone of it is important to discuss. But I think one of the questions that, that will arise is given that grief is foreclosed, like, or recognition of, of grief, I'll say is foreclosed for many people because of white supremacy and because of I mean, the intersection of capitalism and, and white supremacy. Um, we might ask, like, 
is it still possible, you know, to grieve if grief has been foreclosed? My, my, my gut says that, yes, of course, like grieving will happen. Like it will take place, but the recognition becomes the important thing, both how any given group of people recognizes grief, but also how wider society recognizes grief. And it's really a question about that recognition that, that floats to the top for me. Like, are we recognizing certain things as grief? And by recognizing them, giving space, maybe giving space back, um, that, that, that's where my mind kind of goes. Yeah, I, I, I have, I have a similar inclination. I'm like, of course, we're humans. We're born to grieve, um, and that we'll always find a way. And partly, I do believe that. I think that, in in the way that, um, one of the people that posed these questions mentions, which hopefully we'll read out soon as well, where they mention these different genres of music. Yeah, it's the worst some of the most horrific periods of human history, we still found a way to grieve or they still found a way to grieve. Um, and they found ways where, whether it was through songs or, or dance or poetry or um, kind of these invented half-remembered rituals, um, there were ways, it was, it was a necessity, so it was done. But yeah, like you said, there is, it is almost as that, yeah, there is this mass, like, non-recognition a lot of the time that is often top-down. It's like the state does not recognise it um, and does not give space for it. And that's when it becomes quite impossible. It's when, like we're seeing with, with COVID and the pandemic at the moment, that I don't think that any government has truly recognised the amount of grief that everyone is sitting with at the moment and the various types of grief and the layered nature of it as well there's 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 so much that hasn't been recognized and um respected actually and the way that people are meant to carry on and push through creates much deeper wounds that are going to create they're, they're going to take a lot longer um, to first be seen and secondly to be healed. I agree. I agree. Um, can I read this this first one? Because it mm -hmm. it brings it's exactly allows us to circle back on these these ideas. So I'm going to read this the totality, and then I just want to I want to the first thing I want to say about it is how it's posed in order to get to the form of it, which I think is important. Um, the question was, and these were and so these were questions typed into chat on. Zoom. <laughs> I think it's important just to historicize where we are technologically. These were typed into chat on Zoom, and then they were read by a, a monitor, somebody who was, you know, going through, and and so they're just cut and paste to us. Um, so they come to us in these like sort of fragments, these little like archival fragments. And th this is what this one is. Sorry, but there really has been no addressing of racialized grief about the particular types of grief facing disempowered peoples, immigrant populations in the West, nothing regarding blues, rap, or black music, mus musical racialized grieving, nothing about gendered grief, the grief of women towards aborted children, for instance. How can we universalize grief when faced with these particularized iterations? So obviously the sort of 
the general content there is is picking up on the the tendency for philosophical forums like the London School of Economics to to universalize topics and looking at how that universal image is more like a one size fits all thing that actually doesn't fit 99.9% of everybody. And so what are we to do with all of the unnamed types of grief? That certainly seems to be the content, but I'm so struck by that initial sorry that starts the, the question. Um, which it's it's a great it's a great thing it's it's clear it's not an apology um it's it's like a a butting in gesture i think which is necessary because if it felt the need sort of shows the need to sort of like muscle in and push this topic to the front because it wasn't being given space and yet it still does carry a sort of apologetic tone um as if oh i I have to be the person, I'm going to be the person who brings up this topic again, and there's always somebody, and it's surely fatiguing for the person who has to be the person to continually bring it up again. But all of this stuff is woven into that initial sorry, which is a grievous word. I mean, it's like there's grief in the in the having to ask the question um, that I feel needs to be acknowledged. Does that come across to you, or is that just my, like, my languagey brain? No, ab- absolutely. I I felt I felt very similar things actually. I don't know if I felt the same, um, but I felt similar things. And actually, when I read it, I only read it for the first time when, uh, yeah, the questions were sent sent over to us after I requested them. Um, and also, actually, just to add to the context contextualizing. Um, the, the format of the of the conversation was kind of like split up into three and each of the three speakers kind of like led with a bit of an introduction about each thing and then the moderator kind of like brought each speaker in um, and it was for less than an hour. So it was quite fast paced um, and quite structured. Um, so just to add that into the context of um, us talking about this messy and um, plural uh thing called grief um but the the other thing the 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 thing that struck me when I read this question was firstly sadness like I really I saw myself in this question in a lot of ways on the one hand me being a panelist and kind of feeling bad that I hadn't brought this up like I I wanted to I really wanted to but I should have and I wanted to and there were people who needed me to bring it up Um, and then on the other hand it's a sadness related to the fact that I can see myself as being the person who would ask a question like this if I came to this talk or if I if or if I went to a talk that was similar I I I feel what this person is feeling and there is grief in that question there is the loss and there isn't the recognition it's it's exactly what we were talking about before it's the 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 need to be witnessed that this has existed this has existed for generations and why is it not being spoken about on this platform that claims that it has the answers or it, it claims to know? So yeah, I, I don't. I, the the question doesn't have a name associated with who um, sent it, but I really appreciate them wording it in a specific way that they did, and the, and then and the 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 richness of the question as well. They mentioned so many groups in that from. Um, 
yeah, immigrant populations to um, yeah, gendered grief. Uh, and there, there was another question that was similar that really listed the fact that there were poor de- deaths, there are incarcerated deaths, there are black deaths, brown deaths that aren't witnessed as much or enough. Hmm. Yeah, I, my, my, I think about, I think, I think into this question through two very different avenues. One of them is the i mean it's still within a european tradition but the 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 lineage of critical theory which basically pointed out like in the 30s and the 40s precisely this problem with philosophy's tendency to universalize the adorno always talks about the remainder like there's always a remainder nothing goes into a concept perfectly there's always some aspect that's left out and those things that are left out are precisely what we should philosophize and and not philosophize about those things but philosophize out of those things and so one productive critical critically productive avenue to take is to say yes you know as soon as we step into any particular grief such as any of those things named in that question we will right away show the flaw of the universal formula that grief could possibly be one thing or that a productive grieving process could possibly look one way, it cannot. And it's important to talk about particular griefs because it shows that the universal formula doesn't work and is just a fiction. So that's, you know, that is helpful. Um, But then uh, (laughs) the critical theory thing then turns on itself, right? And then you have to say, but what are the limits of that? So like you say, yes, they do. There's a lot of helpful particular griefs named here, but they're not all named. There's no way that every particular grief can be named. And as soon as we start trying to articulate and enumerate each particular grief, we will run into the problem of exclusion. Something will be left off that list. And then that, what is that? The excluded of the excluded, the most marginalized um, topic and something will fall out and will fall short of sort of doing justice to this particularizing of grief. And because of that, the other avenue sort of kicks in in my mind, which is that we've talked about this before that the paradigm, the binary of universal particular falls apart in grief. The grief really like baffles that, that binary. Grief comes along and says, yeah, you know, the whole universal particular conversation doesn't work here. We need some other kind of conversation, some other kind of vocabulary that does justice to the root of the question being asked. So in the midst of this conversation comes a small child who, hi, hi. Hey. Who, you know, doesn't yet have the language to talk about these things, but probably knows. Mm-hmm. Hey, that actually makes me think of of what we were just speaking about in terms of not having the language. So much is unspeakable, so much is untranslatable, so much is unknowable. Like, I really feel like I need to, we all need to lean into that a lot more. Like, children who have a limited vocabulary. And have a very limited. Oh, 
Maybe not a limited vocabulary. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is not limited for his age. But yes. I want Ollie to get down. You want Ollie to get down? Yeah. Well, she doesn't want to get down. What do we do about that? It's that. It's this. Well, that, I mean, what you're just saying about the language makes me think about the musical part of that question, which was like a new rhythm was required. Well, this gets to, okay, so obviously grief will still happen, but how it happens will at first look like some alien technology that's been dropped on earth, I think. And that there's like a, because there's a new rhythm that gets pr pr produced when you're not allowed to grieve through a certain kind of language, you come up with a, not even a coded language, just like a whole new premise of what language is. And like, that was the blues or like, that's what rap experiences with a sort of like, you know, polyrhythmic overlay, the whole notion of sampling and how that works in, in rap. Um, and, and therefore it's not surprising that marginalized populations we, where do we find that grief? We find it expressed through new forms of music. Now, the interesting thing about that to me is that those types of music become the most popular kinds of music. And there's like this weird other appropriation that happens again, where what at first was a dire need to express something becomes a commodity and somehow the process gets started again. Yeah. I, I... In, in that, I'm thinking of um, Nina Simone's song, uh, Mississippi Goddamn. Tennessee made me lose my rest, and everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn. Which gives me chills every time I listen to it. For those of you who don't know, um, it, the song was first released in 1964, and it's kind of in response to the murders of two one one young black boy and one young black man um emmett till and medgar evers in mississippi um and also the 16th street baptist church bombing in um alabama which killed uh, for black children so there's a, a lot of there's so much anger in that song but the rhythm of it is almost for, like a show tune this is a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet it's there to kind of like get people's attention it's there to kind of like fit into what was expected of Nina Simone at the time which was to create popular music but she refused to make herself apolitical she refused to kind of like eradicate her herself from her music and eradicate her heart and her personal blues from the music um and apparently it's a i'm just looking at a note on the on the song it says on the recording she sarcastically announces the song as a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet no. um and honestly i have goosebumps from that because for someone to know that they are being used by the music industry to recognize themselves as a dark-skinned black woman making popular music in 1960s 
United States. And to still look at all of those things and subvert it um, and still let your grief be felt and heard is very, very special. The fact that I can sit on you sit and, and type in on YouTube and watch this black and white video of her singing it and still feel it uh, is is the technology of grief itself. It is timeless. It it, it really like you said it baffles the binary and it baffles time, linear time. Wow. Yes. The it's like <laughs> what. It would be like you're asked a question at a forum like the at the London School of Economics, and you're like, well, my answer is, and then you just play that song. The song plays, and then like Oh, but this whole special. country is full of lies. You all like flies. I don't trust you anymore. You keep on saying go slow. Um and that type of structure makes sense to me. Like that's the logic of what this question calls particularized grief, I think, is that whenever we really open up the question to it and start to look at how particular forms of grief are expressed, you're, we're going to find something that absolutely does not fit in the authorized conversation mm-hmm. and something that will break conversation down so that like there isn't really an appropriate response. Yeah, gosh. I mean, well, you know, I'm struck by the fact that for Nina Simone to do that, she basically turned her body, well, maybe it already was, a conduit, you know, for so many different forces that were at work. And that took a toll on her. I mean, like that probably hastened her death, you know? And and so she actually like gave her life force energy in service of expressing grief in a complex way that was honest, but also somehow subversive enough to exist in a racist climate and then to persist through to the present day. Oh yeah. It, that is rich. It's, um, mm. uh, I mean, I, I, I heard someone say something, um, and it was, it was when we heard the news of bell hooks dying a couple of weeks ago um and and they had listed this the, just a series of names of black feminist thinkers who had died mm. before they should have should have um like they died in their either 40s 50s or 60s and there's so many black feminists mm. who have died young and I think about the the labor that that they that they commit their lives to, commit their bodies to, is taxing. They, you know, they but they they die, but they don't die. Mm-hmm. You know, in like a a very easy to understand way that for most people, bell hooks. I mean, for m- most people who don't know the actual, never knew the actual bell hooks, she wasn't even fully ever alive to them. For most people, you know, she was written word but that's powerful in a certain sense because it allows her to escape the life death binary and exist as thought 
um, as like an antagonist, productively antagonistic thought in the world. So that when she dies, she's not gone because she's not any different than she was when she was alive for most people. She exists as this thought that will continue to push. Mm-hmm. And that's that's magical. I mean, so, you know, I I feel the, when when she died, I, I felt, I had a, my heard about it. I had the sense of, oh, her physical presence is gone and that I feel that. And then I was like, wow, but, I also feel everything else that she's already put into the earth and that still feels really strong. And I'm carrying that with me. And it was a very interesting evasion of death feeling that I, I had there. Same and with Nina Simone. Yeah. And on that as well, as I mean, both of us have writing practices and I've been thinking um, and trying to practice uh, a citational politics that, um, really brings forth the names of those who have given me the language to um, express what I need to express and and think in new ways. And I've been thinking of that as a practice of venerating ancestors as well, that that is grief work, that these people are firstly people who I'm in conversation with, like they 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 are words on a page, but these I, I have an affinity to these names and to these words um and they are ancestors in so far as they've mm. kind of laid the ground that I walk on um and the fact that yeah I mean bell hooks kind of has become an, an ancestor in that sense in the same way that so many of these other people whose work has um yeah changed the world kind of it it exists in that way um and that's also not to disembody her because I think that her living breathing physical form on this earth was so valuable for people even if they had never known her personally or met her to know that she exists in the world remember I felt that with Toni Morrison I was just like Mm -hmm. glad that she existed somewhere just like I'm just glad that she's just yes exactly I'm glad to know you're there out there doing the work yeah we're just living like you're 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 on we're sharing the planet together like you're you're great and we're and we're living at the same time as each other Mm. um Mm. Well, I mean, it's interesting. So, so, I mean, I'm thinking about the question, like, what of, you know, what of people who are not given space in the general conversation of grief? How how, do, how does it change? I mean, one thing is, you know, we see, we have to, instead of using ready-made formulas like the five stages of grief to talk about grief, that another another citation list needs to be summoned and that those sources that we use to navigate or to name or to describe, you know, marginalized people's griefs has to come from the, those communities. Um, in that way, territory will be, you know, produced in which that grief can be expressed. 
And I think that is true. I mean, I, I, it's not simply a matter of using new materials and thoughts to, to name and thing, but that, that is a start. Um, but what you said adds another dimension of that, which is that it's not just the matter of who said it, it's the lineage and the genealogy of all the people who were involved in the saying of an idea. Um, because in that way, we, we get out of the individual um, the problem of the individual and really refocus the social dimension of grief. And we then get stronger because the social um, is always stronger than the, the presumed individual. Mm -hmm. I also think that like you, you, you suggested that maybe next time we could just play a song by Nina Simone and just let it drop into the audience and let the silence and the discomfort kind of take hold. Um, and there was a workshop that I facilitated alongside my friend Rahana Zaman, who's a filmmaker, and we were invited by Goldsmiths University in, in London um, a couple of months ago, and it was to be in their garden, it was about the garden as a, as a space to think with. Um, and one of the aspects that we we definitely wanted to have as part of that workshop was an acknowledgement of the land itself. Um, and New Cross, which is where Goldsmiths exists, is where one of the um, one of the most controversial news stories broke, and it was in the eighties. It was when a uh, a fire was started in a block in, in a in a in a building um, in New Cross where the birthday of a teenager was being celebrated, and they were all black kids who were um, in that building. And um, yeah, it was suspected arson. It was a suspected um, racially motivated attack, um, where several uh, black children died. Um, and that was something that we wanted to name in the space to acknowledge uh, that that this is what New Cross holds and this is the grief that this space holds. And the only way that we could do it as two brown women was to invite another voice in. And that was um, the poet Jay Bernard, who um, wrote a poetry collection called Surge. And there's one poem that they recite and it's on YouTube so we kind of just played it on speakers and it, we, we were outside and we just let the song play we set our left side forward and my right side back. Both up left side, right side, half a change time. We set half the revolution, the pun the attack. Only half a solution to the things that me like. We say, girl love reggae and girl love move. Boy love reggae and them love up him groove. The two of them are rubber pants starting to move. Cold gone quiet, people stop yum them food. And them watch an MC, this wicked MC. This beautiful girl all dressed up in green. Nails done nice, hair crisp. 
Swayamin. The bodies the girl them ever did see me set a two-step, four than a two-step, but me set a three-step, four than a six-step, but me set a four-step, four than a one-step, but me set a one-half, four than a one-half, but me set the heat of the night. I come up through the floor, black smoke arise, or them never did know. The music a jam and the young man a chat, word fly from him lip like vampire, but and the girl them a dance and the man them a rock, drink six rum and black and the beat them a drop. Darkness descend and the room gone black. Voices are call, say them half ghetto. Miss voices are call, say them half ghetto. Screaming begin and the people are show. Miss screaming begin and the people are show. Them I cover them head and I cover them up. Miss a two step, forward and a two step, but miss a three step, forward and a six step, but miss a four step, forward and a one half, but miss a one half, forward and a one half back. Don't on the street, you see body face. Don't pick me fly through the air, I mush up on the ground. Flames in my fly and a furious red. Boy fall from the window and you know set him dead. Girl fall back inside, we not see her no more. No bright green dress up on the third floor. Policeman come and fireman too. Them startled, them scared and I know what they do. Mother she a cry and she not have no shoes. Band them a look but to help them refuse. Friend them shocked by the scare that they lost. Black smoker pillar at the house in New Cross. Miss a black smoker pillar at the house in New Cross. Miss a black smoker pillar at the house in New Cross. Miss a blood out go run for the pain that they lost. Miss a black smoker pillar at the house in New Cross. Miss a left side, forward and a right side, but boss up left side, right side, half a change time. Miss a half the revolution, the pan the attack. Only half a solution to the things that me love. Miss a two step, forward and a two step back. Me set a three step forward and a six step back. Me set a four step forward and a one step back. Me set a one half forward and a one half. And it's only Jay who could say it in that way, who could memorialize those people and it was their voice that needed to be brought in and it needed to be listened to and there needed to be space afterwards to be silent and to walk around the garden. It wasn't, okay, let's talk about it now. Let's, let's unpack it. There was no unpacking needed. And, it's, and I think that it's the form of these things that needs to be multiple and this is what I meant in the, in, the, in the forum when we had the conversation. I kept coming back to, and this is the thing that I keep coming back to, is that we just need more spaces for this to be brought up, for, it to, for, for us to always have new and more ways of being able to come together in our grief. And if we do that, hopefully, maybe, we might be able to touch on these very different experiences that each of us have with loss we have no hope of ever universalizing it we have no hope of ever catching all of the feelings and mending all of the hurts but what we can do is recognize that there is more than one way to do it and that there needs to be more than one way to do it and to sit and have a conversation about it on a panel versus being with your community and speaking to the hurts that are there and dancing and shaking your bodies is a completely different thing. The spaces are, are there. The spaces are being produced. They don't, they blip out of, they like, they, they, 
they're not given enough support from others to endure or be sustainable. And that's both their strength and their, and their limitation. They, 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 they burn really hot those spaces and then they like burn out and then they, they come back. I know that they're out there. We don't, they don't get publicized, but bell hooks writes this, um, an essay, um, an aesthetic an aesthetics of blackness, strange and oppositional in which she, she talks about, um, she talks about art, like high art and says, yeah, but what about like black church talent shows? And what about like, like the crafting and like quilt making that's being sold at like black church fundraisers. <laughs> like that's actually where black art is happening, but it's not included in the black art movement because it's not deemed capital A art. She draws attention to the fact that the spaces are there being made and produced. We just don't recognize them as such. So, you know, what would it look like, this project of kind of tending and recognizing and validating and pumping oxygen into, um, you know, these spaces that do exist for these various particularized griefs? What would it be like? What would it look like? It would probably look like you were saying, like it would look, it wouldn't look like a recognizable conversation. Like it wouldn't look like a, a dialogue. It certainly wouldn't have a resolution and it certainly wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily like lead to legislation. It wouldn't um, produce money that would be able to be used to fix a specific problem. It, we'd have to let go of all of that. But um, if we could like tap into these spaces, everything would become very, like a lot more polyphonic. Like, you know, the the rhythmic overlap would be really overwhelming, but also really energizing. And that's what sucks because that is the like that is the the ever foreclosed promise of the United States, you know, <laughs> that like we have so many different kinds of people here. Um, the the polyphony is deafening. Um, but you know, the people who produce the speakers, <laughs> figure out a way to like, it's the mono agriculture of the polyphony of grief. You know, they figured out a way to like, you know, only broadcast one degree, one channel uh, of all of this, but it is in fact there. It's like the most efficient and most productive and can be done in the shortest amount of time and reach maximum people. It's just... Yeah, I think that this is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to grief. It's so much more for me than like just loss and just death. It's It feels like one of those things where you have a loose thread in your jumper and you pull it and the whole jumper starts to unravel and you want to keep pulling it because you want to see how far it will go. And it's that unraveling that I think grief is really good at, because like we said right at the beginning, if you really want to look at it, it will baffle the binary. It will force you to do away with your notions of line the linearity of time. It has to. And also with our notions of productivity and what real work is. And these are all, all things that need to be questioned and undone anyway. And to kind of speak about it through grief is 
yeah it it's been it's it's given me so much language actually Again, there's so many black feminists who have said that we've we've lived through the apocalypse. We survived we survived our apocalypse. What we're experiencing right now isn't our apocalypse. There's indigenous people who have said the same, that it's we we lived through our worst nightmare where we were slaughtered and our world was coming to an end. And we're on the other side. And there's something else here and another apocalypse may come, but we've done it before and we'll do it again. The space of fiction and speculation is really rich. It is. It is. That, I mean, I think of, so, I mean, everything, it's it's helpful for me to think of everything sometimes in terms of energy. Like, you know, the, like, what is anticipatory grief? Well, it's a buildup of energy. So what do you do about it? Will you put that energy into something <laughs> like you, you have to, you can't, you, I think what happens with anticipatory grief is it's people try, it's a huge amount of energy has been produced and you're trying to hold it in a vessel that was never meant to hold that much amount of energy. And you feel the burden of this huge energetic mass build up. And unless you do something with it, make something with it, you're going to feel out of balance. And I think that speculative fiction, where Joanne's reading a book right now called Grievers, which is about, which is is one of these like sci-fi sort of, you know, alternate future written by um, a black author and. Adrian uh, McBrown. Yeah. And I, I think of, and I think of like Lovecraft Country and, and those, those types of, and, and the work of F and Silco, you know, like they talk about it a lot. Um, but the, that, that those books are like, that's where we see an amazing channeling of that energy. Now, in that case, it's not anticipatory grief. It's another type of grief, which is like, like you said, the apocalypse has already happened. It's as if revelation already took place. Like <laughs> all of those weird sci-fi scenes in the book of revelation have already happened for black people, for indigenous people in a different visual vocabulary, but like it happened. And then everything kept going. You know, and the insight gained through living in the time of revelation produced a kind of energy that is only known to those groups. And it can't be put back into status quo society at large because there is no shape there to hold that type of energy. It can only be used to create some kind of fictional, well, what we would call fictional, what people call fictional, glimpses of the future. But they're not actually fictional. They're 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 proposals, you know. They're proposals for how else we could be living. And that's what I think. Another helpful way to think about all this is to carry each of the 
expressions that come from each group's grieving into a sort of proposal for what the future might look like. And no matter how far out it looks or how much we would like to classify it as like science fiction to treat it absolutely naturalistically and say, no, what if, what would it be to live into that? What would be required to live into that? Or if it's a negative, if it's a dystopian type of picture, it would be like, are we currently on a path that's leading to that? Because if so, let's change the path. You know, either way, um, the, the role of fiction is what we call fiction is huge. I think also what you said about the energy that gets built up that needs a release um, and what you said earlier about how grieving and mourning has t- taken place. Oh, always these these this permaculture of grief has always been there and we just haven't called it that. Um I mean, again, speaking speaking about the the new crossfire, it was kind of like really soon after that that there were there was a huge march. It was twenty thousand people strong. It was called the Black People's um, Day of Action. It was organised um, in response to that fire, and and I mean, their slogan was 13 dead, nothing said." And that was a mass grief event. Like that was people shouting and 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 making themselves heard if not by the state then by each other and by the street that they marched on um and i really really do think protest is is a grief ritual pressure much longer somebody say a prayer alabama's got me so upset tennessee made me lose my rest and everybody knows about mississippi goddamn this is a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet Dogs on my trail, school children sitting in 